Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and close to us, sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, retell us, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan. I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 54 of the Irish storytelling podcast. We are coming to you as always from the beautiful surroundings of the Headstuff Podcast Network Studios here in Dublin. The weather is finally dare I say it, starting to get a little bit warmer, a little bit more of a stretch in the evening, and it's always a pleasure to come in here each and every week to bring you another dose of storytelling goodness. If this is your first time listening, you're very welcome along. We're diving right into the middle of the Ulster cycle at the moment, or towards the tail end of the Ulster cycle as it is now. So maybe listen to this, uh, and then see where we've come, and then go back to the very beginning, or at least the beginning of the Ulster cycle from about episode 48 to 50, and see what we've been building up to over the last... 15 months or so was it about year and year and a quarter and if you are a returning listener thank you so much for your continued support please do continue to support us with ratings subscriptions reviews wherever you get your podcasts uh please if you uh please do follow me on instagram at fireside bard it's the best place for updates on the podcast the live shows and for things i'm working away on myself and if you really are enjoying the podcast, you can, of course, subscribe to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast. Any and all uh, contributions are welcome. They all go towards towards the live shows to keeping this podcast going. Um, every little bit coming in makes this feel more and more like a concrete thing. Uh, so thank you so much to our current to our current patrons, patrons Ollie Gray, Connor Phelan, Colin Vance, Kit Mallow, Carl Dry, and our top patron, Emily Brady. Uh, thank you so much for your incredibly generous support, howsoever and how, whenever you want to continue that. But uh, if you don't, if you can't, or you have no desire to contribute to the Patreon, that is also absolutely fine. As I say, it's my favourite, it's an egalitarian model of kindness, and my favourite thing about this podcast is that it can go all around the world for free, and that it is accessible to anyone and everyone. And I will continue to release, to write, record and release these podcasts, as long as you are willing to listen to them. 
Next, if you are around Dublin in the next month, come along to our next live show. We are doing another Fireside Sessions. This time, our theme is Folk Friday. We are doing it on Good Friday, the 10th of April, right here in the podcast studios, Dublin's newest live venue, downstairs from when I record the podcast. It's where we had the Dublin Podcast Festival live show. It's a great space. I'm really excited to get back in there. We learned so much from the podcast festival, and it's great to be honing the fireside sessions as the live shows as something we want to do more and more on if you haven't been to one before you haven't heard of them fireside sessions is the live show of the storytelling podcast mixes tales of folklore and mythology with stories with the stories behind our greatest folk songs all through the true and personal yarns of me your host and my very special guests who will be announced very soon we'll have a musical guest or two for sure uh, so please do join us for some tales some tunes and a tipple the podcast studios is BYOB so celebrate the fact that you can now buy Gargle in Ireland on Good Friday for only the second year and join us at the podcast studios on Friday the 10th of April for Fireside Sessions but I will get to the story now. We are continuing the Ulster cycle of Irish mythology. We are in the final, final couple of stories now. I nearly thought this was going to be the last week, but then I then I re-remembered this story. I've said this a few times. I'm a massive fan of audiobooks, and uh, I'm a big, big fan of Audible, and it's my favorite, my favorite uh, thing that I subscribe to. And there's an incredible series of Irish mythology audiobooks that you get is one set. It's just like a complete mythology and it has nine or ten different mythologies from all around the world. Now, they are... I've listened to about four or five of them at this stage. I've listened to its Celtic, its its, um, Greek, its Norse, and its Japanese so far. And the ones I don't know, it's definitely flawed in aspects sometimes the narrator works there's about two or three different narrators sometimes the narrator works sometimes it doesn't obviously with the celtic one they're doing quite broad strokes and their pronunciations aren't going to be fantastic they're actually okay for this one um now i say that myself as as not even a fluent irish speaker myself so i would have much more of a grasp of of the language in terms of pronunciation but i still get it i still get it wrong myself sometimes because sometimes there are different ways and different dialects and regions and stuff and sometimes I just get it wrong but overall this is an incredible project and it's been great to listen to different versions of mythologies I knew about and then some mythologies that I didn't know about at all but in its broad strokes of the four cycles of Celtic mythology when it does the Ulster cycle this is one of the stories that it read and then when I was researching on bard mythologies again it was this and the very final story of the Ulster cycle were the last two left and this after the Tawn this is actually the longest story in the cycle so I've broken it down into two parts but they are actually quite two nicely standalone parts which is quite nice and this uh, in that they're quite contained but I'll get to the story now we can chat a bit more afterwards this is the champion's portion Bic Roo's feast on fireside the champion's portion Bic Roo's feast 
Cook Collins' reputation as a champion was undeniable to anyone who has heard even one of his countless achievements. But one of the final times that Cuchulain's prowess as Ulster's greatest warrior was challenged was at the feast of a devious and bitter man named Bikru. Bikru was an Ulster man who in his youth had taken a javelin to the kidney. Although he did not succumb to this wound, Bikru never really healed from it and it ruined his diet and constitution. For the remainder of his life, he could only eat simple foods like oats and eggs. This made him increasingly sour and bitter with age, as alongside storytelling and fighting, feasting was one of the Red Branch Knight's most beloved activities. Eventually, Bikru's attitude became too much for Ulster to endure, and King Kunkabar MacNassa banished Bikru from Eamon Macha and told him he must live the remainder of his life on his own land. He could remain in Ulster, but he must stay away from Eamon Macha. Bikru was a rich man and set to building a new fort of his very own. In this home, Bikru constructed the most lavish feasting hall that Ulster had ever seen, greater even than Kunkabar's own at Eamon Macha. It could house more warriors. It had nine chimneys leading to nine roaring fireplaces. The cutlery and crockery were all golden and tapestries of all of Ulster's achievements. When it was complete, Bikru sent an invitation to Kunkabar and his Red Branch Knights to honour him with their presence at the inaugural feast of Bikru's Banquet Hall. My lord wants his king to know that there is no hard feelings over the whole banishment thing, Bikru's messenger told Konkabar when he arrived at Eamon Maka. Konkabar was delighted by this offer, but Senka, one of the oldest and wisest of his counsellors, was suspicious. It had been Senka that had advised for Bikru's banishment from Eamon Maka in the first place. This doesn't seem right, Senka said. The man can barely eat a bowl of porridge, and he builds a banquet hall. Also, Bikru is a nasty piece of work. I don't trust that he has taken his banishment so alarmingly lightly. He's up to something. Kunkabar was wise enough to listen to advice from his counsellors, but he also dare not to be seen to refuse another man's generous offer of hospitality. So Senka devised a series of conditions for Kunkabar's attendance at Bikru's feast. The main proviso being that Bikru must be attended by eight guards during the entire feast and that he himself may not sit in the banquet hall itself until the feast was finished. Senka did not think Bikru would agree to not even being allowed to attend his own feast. But much to his surprise, Bikru agreed to all conditions. But Senka was correct to suspect the bitter Bikru. After confirming King Kunkabar's attendance, Bikru began the final stages of his plan. He personally went to visit a young warrior named Lera Buach. Despite his youth, Lera was one of the most accomplished warriors in Ulster. Or certainly so Bikru told him. The sour host personally invited Lera to the feast and told him that when dinner was served, the champion's portion should go to him. After a session of flattery from Bikru, the impressionable Lera was inclined to agree. 
Next, Bikru went to visit Conal Kiernach, another experienced, valued, and extremely confrontational warrior of the Red Branch Knights. The champion's portion should be yours, said Bikru. You're damn right it should, and it will be mine, said Conal, and I'll take the shirt off any man's back who says otherwise. Finally, Bikru went to visit Cullen. He extended the invitation and told him of the champion's share. Well, that goes without saying, said the Hound of Ulster. I have single-handedly fought off entire armies, and none of my fellow Ulster men would deny me it. Even King Kunkabar would go without food himself to see me get the champion's share. Bikru left Cucullan with a devious smile on his face. His plan was in motion. The day of the feast came, and King Kunkabar Magnassa and the entire host of the Red Branch Knights arrived at Bikru's brand new feasting hall. Included were Lera Boach, Conal Kiernach, and Cucullan. They were in awe of the hall's scale and beauty. And when all were seated and ready to eat, Bikru was escorted by his eight-strong guard out of the banquet hall, which he happily accepted, waiting as he was for the cat to be set amongst the pigeons. The feast was served, and when the champion's portion was prepared and Cucullan licked his lips as he eyed it up, this is when the charioteer of Lera Buach stood up and declared that the champion's portion should go to his master. Then Conal Kernock's charioteer disputed this, and the two began to argue before Laig, the charioteer of Cucullan, stood and incredulously cut in. Have you all lost your minds? Have none of you memory or sense? How can you even begin to think anybody else deserves the champion's portion other than Cú Cullen? He is the Hound of Ulster, and you are all mere foot soldiers. This is ridiculous. I do not accept that, said Lyra, rising from the table. Ridiculous, is it? said Connell, leaping to his feet. Then Cucullan calmly stood and said, So be it. And all three drew their swords. A mighty fight took place between the three warriors, their bright swords sending sparks whenever they clashed. Senka told Conkabar he should intervene. This is a disgrace to the customs of feasting and hospitality to be fighting with fellow Ulsterman over something as trivial as a portion of food. Kunkabar then stood and unarmed walked into the middle of the fray. All three warriors halted once they saw their king. They sheathed their weapons and bowed before him. The three of you should be ashamed to fight like children at dinner time. Senka, what should be done about this matter? Senka thought and then said, Let the matter be decided another day, for tonight... Let the champion's portion be divided equally among all who gather here today. And it was done. All sat back down and enjoyed the vast and delicious feast, and the matter, for now, was postponed. Bikru was in his room when he learned what had happened. He was furious that blood had not been spilled, but he wasn't defeated yet. When the feast was over, the women of the Red Branch all took a walk outside the grounds of the fort. Bikru found the wife of Conal Kernock as she was out for her walk and told her, 
Whoever is the first to re-enter the banquet hall will be counted the first woman of Ulster, queen among all other women. Bikru then found Lera's wife, and finally Emer, the wife of Cúchulainn, and told them each the same thing. Each of the three women, and their considerable respective trains of attending ladies, met some distance away from the banquet hall. They then began to walk back. None of them wanted to appear to be rushing, but each tried to walk at a brisk enough pace to lead the pack. When it was apparent they were all doing the same thing, it wasn't long before each woman had hiked up their skirt and was sprinting back to the finish line. The sound of the wives and waiting ladies charging towards the banquet hall sounded like an oncoming army to those assembled inside. The thunderous sound led Kunkabar to order the door to be barred just at the very moment when Emer's hand touched the wood. To defuse the tension, Senka suggested that rather than a foot race, it should be a war of words to decide which of the women was best. None can match my beauty, claimed Connell's wife. Not one comes close to my virtue, added Lara Bochs. Emer smiled condescendingly. Shaped like cows and led by cows are all the women in Ulster when compared with Cúchulainn's wife. This made Cúchulainn smile, but caused such outrage among all others that swords were drawn once again. Connell and Lara began to punch and slash at the beam supporting the wall to open a passage for their respective wives. When Cúchulainn saw this, he walked to the wall and lifted the entire side of the house from its foundations, allowing Emer to cross underneath. This mighty deed sent shockwaves through the house, and as Bikru looked out of a window from above at the chaos he had created, he was knocked from the window and into the dog's kennel below. This didn't do anything for his constitution. The host of the feast stormed back into the banquet hall, covered in dog muck. He was sore his plan had been thwarted again. He was sore that he was covered in filth. And he was most sore that his brand new feasting hall had been destroyed by the hacking and slashing of Lara and Connell and by Cúchulainn lifting it from its foundations and dropping it again. Bikru stood on the table. You're not supposed to be here until we're done called Sentka. To hell with that, said Bikru. I'll put a gasa on every man gathered here that none of you will be able to eat and drink again until my banquet hall is returned to its former glory. Everyone turned to look at Cúchulainn. The Hound of Ulster was tired. Not only was he worn out from all the bickering and house lifting, but as he said himself, I tamed a new horse today on Liamacha the grey of Maka. She'll be the finest steed Ulster's ever seen, but she really took it out of me today. She's a fine horse, to be fair, concurred the charioteer Leg. But all the assembled host pleaded with Cúchulainn to fix the house, so the hound relented. Fortunately, because it was Cúchulainn, repairing the hall was as simple for him as adding a final brush of paint. With the feasting hall repaired, and Bikru's feast at an end, the Red Branch Knights returned to Eamon Macha. Bikru thought his plan had failed. He had not witnessed the blood he had thirsted for. But Bikru had got into the heads of the three warriors, and Lera Buach 
Conal Kernach and Coop Cullen decided that the future right of the champion's portion would be decided another day. But it would be decided. To be continued. And that was part one of the story of the champion's portion on Fireside. So you see what I mean, that it's a... that it's a two-parter, but that is still quite contained. We get the full story of this feast that seems to have an end, but then it hasn't. The matter hasn't been decided. The the niggling question in each of these warriors' minds is still pestered and must be decided another day. There is, when it comes to the Ulster Cycle, which of course has the tawn in it, which we spent five did we do five six episodes six no yes we did six episodes of it um because the tawn is the great epic cycle in the ulster in ulster cycle but that there are a good few other stories to it there are stories that are very firmly before the tawn but then there are a few stories that could take place before could take place after us um as is always the case with myths there's always going to be some contradictions and clashes this is one such story this very much there's a lot of the time that this feels like it's definitely before like how possibly could Connell Cairnock and Lara Buach think that they were greater warriors than Cucullan the man is a god after all and single-handedly fought off the collected armies of Ireland for Ulster when everyone was in their birthing pangs. But there is also this theme, which I am, um, I'm going to paraphrase from the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, brilliant Coen brothers movie they made on Netflix last year, uh, that you can't be top dog forever. And so there's a little bit of that theme, you know, someone eventually does have to beat Ku Cullen. There's a bit of that in all the hero cycles of myth. Yet any of these undefeatable heroes, they nearly always are defeated eventually. And I kind of love it being as as simple as getting the biggest plate at a feast, at getting the champion's portion. So with that regard, as I try to find out a little bit more about Lara Buach and Conal Kernock, who aren't two characters that... I've noticed before they, you know, maybe if I when I reread my sources of the Tawn, they may be names that'll turn up again. Likewise with the character of Senka, who is very prominent in this story, he speaks far more than the king himself, and it's very much him that dictates everything. That that he hasn't appeared before, certainly not in 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 any form that I've noticed. We of course have had. Fergus McRoke as a as a counselor to Conquabar before he left Ulster to go in exile in Connacht and ends up fighting against Ulster in the Tawn. So in one of the sources I had for this story on Bard Mythologies, it has it be Fergus McRoke that is that is suspicious of Bikru um and then Senka who comes up with the plan. But in my head, anyway, at least, because, just because we are doing it chronologically in the podcast, I have it that this is after the tawn, that this is towards the end of things, and that this is very much where we are putting it. So it kind of took Fergus McRoke out of it so that he is not back there. Likewise, as we'll discover in the next part, 
um, Alil and Maeve, uh, the King and Queen of Connacht, they do feature as part of this story, which I may or may not go into. I haven't decided um, if it's a part that I'll adapt because it's quite strange. Everything's very civil um, between them, which again would make you think that it would have to be before. But if we're going to play it, that it is after, which I think it very much does work as much. I kind of like that. I love I love the idea of there being more of the Ulster cycle after the Tawn. Because sometimes, uh, in some versions, they do have Cúcullin die at the end of the Tawn and have that be the end of it, which might be a more epic story. But there's something kind of interesting about this war to end all wars that then life goes on afterwards. Again, it's very like the Odyssey. You know, you have the Iliad in which the Trojan War is fought. And then the Odyssey, as much as it is this great and incredible story of its own, is very much a story of life just continuing after war. Of these, like, they've been at this war for ten years, but at the end, Helen of Troy goes back to to Sparta with Menelaus, and, you know, Odysseus just visits them there, and life is just going on, and it's about Odysseus's own journey to just get on with life. So I love that idea of that here, of that after everyone has survived this, or those of them that have survived the the Tawn, that they just continue on more with more activities. And so that's why it's nice that this is this is a story about food. You know, I suppose the Tawn was all fought over a cow, so it's the idea of such big consternations stemming from such simple things as a plate of food, which I think is wonderful. Leg always, Cucullin's charioteer always delights me every time he features. He is featured so much more prominently in every story that he has been in than I would have expected for a character that basically nobody has heard of outside of people who would be quite well-versed. Uh, of Irish folklore he always seems to have his own identity he's always like really a real pal real confident real sticks up and I of course add my own twist to him I very much I think I identify with Lake quite a lot and I kind of feel fine saying that you know because uh, I'm sure if you go I was like God I really I really see Cullen on myself or I see myself as Fionn McCool it's like how highly do you think of yourself that you think of yourself as the greatest of all people but I kind of like Lake. Lake is just kind of there hanging out, charioteer. He's good at his job, just having a bit of crack, you know. I really, I dig that in him. And I always, he always makes me smile whenever I see him appear. And finally, of course, we have Bikru. We have this previously unheard of, like this, I love this. I kind of saw him as a kind of uh, Grima worm tongue from the, uh, from Lord of the Rings. As this kind of slimy, slively, just like nasty guy, you know. As in, like, why is he around in the first place? Why did anyone ever trust him? You know, why wasn't he always banished? And him just having this Howard disposition because he can't eat properly because he was stabbed in the kidneys. It's wonderful. And it's, again, it's a thing that I couldn't see happening in any other mythology. I can't explain why, but there some, seems something quite Irish about it. I suppose it's the ridiculous being taken seriously, as if I could articulated in any way. That's something that seems uniquely Irish. And I suppose you have that in the essence of the champion's for- fortune, of something inherently silly and absurd as a plate of food. 
being led to all-out blows that that to me seems that's to me seems uniquely irish of of such things being fought over something so ridiculous something very human but i think i see that happening in ireland 10 times a day so that is us out of time so i hope you enjoyed the podcast today um, as always, thank you so much for your continued support. If you're a first-time listener, thank you so much for listening. I hope you continue to listen. Thank you so much to all our patrons, to Alan and Patty here at Headstuff, to Jamie, my producer, for continuing to edit this podcast. Um, next week, we're going to go back to a folk tale before we conclude the second part of the Champions portion of Bikru's Feast. We have plenty more to go. This story gets pure. It gets Greek. It gets Norse after this. So we kind of get really, really into it as we decided. We've got some. We've got some trials. Some trials ahead of us. We're going on a on a serious journey as we wind down the Ulster cycle of Irish mythology. Uh, come to Fireside Sessions Friday the tenth of April here in the podcast studios. Uh, get your tickets at Eventbrite.ie. Join us for some tales, some tunes, and a tipple. It's BYOB. If you're around, then I would love to see anyone there. Thank you all so much for listening. I'll see you all next time, and you'll hear me next time around the fireside. Thank you, and goodbye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.